Oftentimes when you're watching a TV show on TV or on Netflix or Amazon Prime, right before the episode's about to start, they tell you what happened before that, just to catch you up and remind you of what's going on so that you can understand what's happening in the next episode. And so I want to do that for us this morning. Before we get to this next episode or chapter in Ruth chapter 2, I want to go back with you and show you three highlights of Ruth chapter 1 in order to understand what's about to happen. So here's three things to remember and in recap. First of all, God's providence is in the background of the story. God does, ne- God does never speak in Ruth. But there is evidence of God all over the place. And we see that in Ruth chapter 1 with the connections that are made from the famine to how God's going to provide, from going back to Bethlehem to the connections with Ruth and Naomi. And God is weaving all of these things for his sovereign purposes in order to show himself worthy. And we're going to see that all throughout, even into chapter 4 in the end genealogy. We see that God's providence, his fingerprints are all over the story and in our story as well. The second thing is Naomi is expressing herself through lament. Naomi has gone through a very hard time. She lost her husband, lost her two sons, and she's lamenting. And we said last week, lament is that messy tension between troubles and trust. And we see her lamenting and trying to understand why God would do this and what God is up to. And yet, even though she's expressing herself in in very uh, real terms, and she's really raw with her faith. She's trusting in God. And we'll continue to see her work that out all the way through the end of the story. And then finally, number three, Ruth and Naomi are heading back to Bethlehem. Now, Ruth could have gone back to uh, Moab, where her sister-in-law Orpah went back to, but she says, no, I want to stay with you, Naomi. I want your people to be my people, and most importantly, I want your God, Yahweh, to be my God. And so they're going to settle into Bethlehem, which is where we see the story in chapter 2. Let's start in verses 2 and 3. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. As it so happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. If you have your Bibles, underline that phrase, as as it happened. Because as it so happened, in parentheses, really it's God's providence working. He wanted them to be in this field owned by Boaz. Now, the reason that Ruth is in this field is because her and her mother-in-law, Naomi, they're poor. They're widows. And there was a law, this Israelite law that said after the harvesters are done harvesting the grain, those who don't have a lot of money, who are poor and needy, can follow the harvesters and any grain left behind, they can take it home and feed their families. And so that's what Ruth is doing out there. God cared so much about the poor and the needy that he wanted to use his people to provide for them. But as it so happens, the field that they're in is Boaz's field. And in uh, verse 1, we learn about this Boaz character. For we see the author say this, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. If I had to categorize Boaz using one word, the one word would be studly. 
Like Boaz is the man. Now, he is a relative of Naomi's husband's Elimelech, and that will come in handy in chapters 3 and 4 specifically. But beyond that, we see that he is both wealthy and influential. Now, he has two options when it comes to his wealth and his influence. He could use this wealth and influence and power to wield it over people, to be able to use this power for his own selfish gain. We see that happen oftentimes when people have money, when they have influence, it goes to their head and they treat people in such a way that they look down on them or treat them not as equals. Or someone that has influence and wealth can use it to serve people and help people and lift others up. And that's exactly what Boaz does. How do we know that? Well, we see it in the next few verses. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 4. While she, meaning Ruth, was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Two things I see here in Boaz. First of all, when he goes into work, he notices these harvesters who are way lower on the totem pole than Boaz is, and he greets them, which shows humility. A CEO that walks into your company, and maybe you're on the line, or maybe you're a little bit less than in the company rank, oftentimes they're just going to walk by you. But this guy, he kneels down and says, hey, guys. But he doesn't just say, hey. He says, the Lord be with you. How many of you are going to go to work tomorrow and your boss is going to say, hey, John, the Lord be with you. Hey, Cindy, the Lord be with you. Doesn't happen. Now, if you come to the chapel tomorrow, maybe I'd say that. But other than that, it doesn't usually happen. And when we see him both kneeling down and showing humility and greeting somebody with this kind of greeting, the author wants us to know that God is at the center of Boaz's life. That when it comes to his work, when it comes to treating people fairly, when it comes to his wealth and influence, he is going to leverage that for people's good. He wants to serve others. And we see that as we continue in the story. Verses five through seven. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? If you have your Bibles, I want you to circle that phrase. I want you to star that phrase. I want you to put explanation marks on that page. However you like to remind yourself of something important, it's this question, one of the most important questions in Ruth, one of the most important statements in Ruth. Who does this foreigner belong to? And the foreman replied, well, she's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few moments of rest in the shelter. When he asks this question, who does she belong to? If you were a Jew, hearing this story, you would understand the gravity of the question and why he would ask it in the first place. And because you and I probably aren't Jews, nor do we understand the cultural implications of this story, I want to give you three things or three strikes that Ruth had against her culturally. And J.D. Greer, he helps us understand what this is. Three cultural strikes against Ruth. First of all, she's a Moabite, which the Jews regarded as a cursed people. Moabites came from an insensuous relationship with Lot and his daughters. Really weird. And they worshipped false gods. And so the Jews did not like Moabites. 
They were outsiders. They didn't belong. So that's a strike one against Ruth already. But the second thing is she's a widow, which means in that society, who you were married to defined you, especially as a woman. And if you weren't married, you had no influence. You had no cultural standing. Strike two for Ruth. And then number three, she's poor, which the Jews saw as a sign of God's judgment. Though they were to help people who were poor, they looked at it as people, God looked at them as less than. They were judging that person. Strike three. So Ruth is this Moabite outsider who's a foreigner, who's a widow, who has no cultural standing, and she's poor. So when he asked the question, whose is she? Who does she belong to? Everyone doesn't say a word because they know she doesn't belong to anybody. So Boaz doesn't answer it that way. You see, Boaz doesn't look at people as outsiders and insiders. He doesn't allow the culture to define a person. He allows the value bestowed upon that person by God to define that person. There's no categories of this person's here and then this person's here and then this person's here. There's outsiders and then insiders dependent upon how much money you have or what your social status is or whatever it is. For Boaz, no, we all belong. We're all insiders because of what God says. Proof again that Boaz is God at the center of his life. And we see this played out in how he takes care of this foreigner, this outsider who technically doesn't belong to anybody, but now she belongs to Boaz. Verses eight and nine. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, hey, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go anywhere else. Don't go to any other fields Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young man not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to water they've drawn from the well. This woman is an outsider, a foreigner, doesn't belong in society. She's an outcast. But Boaz says, no, she belongs to me. In fact, not only does she belong to me, I'm going to prove it by the way I take care of her. I'm going to provide for her. I'm going to give her food. I'm going to give her water. I'm going to give her community. I'm going to give her security. While everybody else treats her like an outsider and hopes somebody else cares for her, Boaz says no. The way he answers the question, who does she belong to? He says she belongs to us because she belongs to God. I wonder if we would answer the same question the same way. I've been wrestling with that question this week. Who does she belong to? And when I look at our church and when I look at my life as a Christ follower, I'm overwhelmed that I don't deserve to be on the inside of God's family and yet he welcomes me. I have a lot of strikes spiritually and emotionally and relationally and physically against me that would disqualify me from God's love. And yet he says, because of Jesus, you're an insider. And Boaz says all these cultural strikes against Ruth would disqualify her from community and everywhere else, but not in me. I want her to belong. And then I think to myself, am I treating people the same way? I mean, think about it in your own life. Do we categorize people as outsiders or insiders? 
who does he or she belong to truly? I think all of us would say, no, we treat all people the same. There are no outsiders and outcasts in my life, in my church. But as you look around at the dinner table in your house consecutively, are there anybody around that dinner table that look differently from you? Or when you're including people in a cookout or when you're sitting next to somebody in church or when you're living just your everyday life, are there people that you're including that look differently from you, act differently from you, believe differently from you, live in different places than you, believe in God differently than you, vote differently than you, have a different sexual orientation than you, they have a different skin color than you. It's funny, when I wrestle with those things, I can look at my phone and the people I text. I can look at the people I invite over to dinner. I can look at the people I open my life to. I can look at the people I invite to church. I look at the people that I hang out with in my neighborhoods. And oftentimes they look and act and sound and believe and behave and vote and, and, and love the same way I do. Which isn't wrong, but it isn't right that I wonder sometimes if we categorize people and we don't even know it, we in our mind say, well, they belong to them or because they live over there, they should stay there or because they vote that way, they should be over here or they think this way about COVID, they're over there. Are we all on the inside? You know who was on the inside with Jesus? Lepers people who are casted off in that society because no one wanted to be associated with leprosy. What if they get it? He's touching them. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people on the outside, they were in Jesus' inside. The Ruths, they were on Boaz's inside. Who's on the inside of us? Who does he or she truly belong to? She belongs, he belongs to us because he or she belongs to God, Period. I think of Mother's Day today. I'm going to go celebrate my mom, my mother-in-law, and my wife today. I'm assuming you're going to be doing something similar. But there are a lot of people for today, just to even say Mother's Day is so difficult. I started to ask myself, who does the widow belong to? Who does the orphan belong to? Who does the couple struggling with infertility belong to? Who does the divorcee or single mom or dad, but mom today belong to? Who does the grieving mom or child belong to? These aren't categories that we should be putting people in. They should all be on the inside. They should all be loved today. They should all be valued today. They should all be welcomed today. They should all feel the way that we feel today. Or I think of what's going to happen over the next few weeks in our community. As summer rolls in, it's a great time for all of us because we finally get to get outside and get on the boat and, and do some recreational things we've been longing to do and hopefully finally mow our lawns and it's not pouring down rain and you can actually get through it without going and stopping your mower every five seconds. That was me the other day. We're looking forward to it, but you know what else is amazing about summer? Do you know on average over 2,000 foreigners come to our community? Are you kidding me? 2,000 people from different countries come 
here. In other words, the roots, the foreigners, are coming to our fields. How incredible is that? What are we going to do about it? The people that believe differently and look differently and smell differently and eat differently, are they just Kalahari's property, Cedar Point's property, Great Wolf's property, Walmart's property, or are they ours? Can you imagine if we looked at people like that, not just from a different nationality or Buddhists or Muslims, but we looked at them as God looks at them? People to be welcomed, people to be loved, people to bring in on the inside, people to say, oh, no, we don't categorize them as outsiders. They're insiders. That's why we have partnered with Friendship Family Program to create what we've called the Chapel's Global Friendship Partners, where we say we want to adopt a foreigner, so to speak. They don't live with you, but they live life with you. And so if you're going to have people for a picnic, you invite he or she over. If you're going to go out to dinner, you invite them. If you're going to a ball game, you invite them. If you're going to go on the boat, invite them. If you're going to go fishing, invite them. Why do we do that? Because we are called to show the love of Jesus to them so they can go back to their countries and think differently about Jesus because we have shown love to the foreigner, just like Boaz does. What if that was our mindset? We didn't categorize people. We didn't look down on people. We didn't judge people. We didn't put them as outsiders or insiders. They're all on the inside. As you leave today, we have a table. For more information about this program, I'm inviting you and asking you and basically telling you the Bible mandates that we do something like this. Show love to the foreigner. We have that opportunity. Go step by the table. Take an application. See if it's for you. I was thinking about this just even on the inside of our church. We have a vision at the chapel. It's our 2023 vision. We want to grow deeper as a church so we can become more fruitful and more healthy. And so these are just different ways that we've identified and that we want to go deeper. And the first part of this is building a culture of family. We think by the end of 2023, we have accomplished this vision if every single person that walks through our doors in this church feels like they are at home. I always feel at home when I can go home and take my clothes off and put my sweatpants and my sweatshirt on. I feel like, man, I belong now. I'm in. I'm, I'm relaxed. I want people to feel like they can walk through our doors in the same way. Oftentimes, in order to do this, we think, okay, now it's on Ryan and me. You should know everybody. You should care for everybody. And let me tell you, that's true. We want to try to do that. But there are a lot of people and not a lot of us. To be a culture of family isn't to put the onus on the pastor. It's to put the onus on the church. To welcome every single person. To value every single person. To look around and say, who doesn't feel like they belong? How can I help them belong? I'm not here to hear good worship music. I'm not here to hear a good message. I'm not here to have our kids entertained. I am here to make sure that everybody feels like they are on the inside. And if that's not our thought life in church, we're here for the wrong reason. Church is a community for all to belong, not just for some to feel like they belong. A few weeks ago at one of our campuses, um, there was this gentleman that walked in that I know really well and sat in his normal seat. Usually he sits with his wife, but over COVID, his wife passed away. 
a couple of our pastors and myself got to do the funeral, and man, they were so in love. I was like, man, I want a marriage like they had. And he came for the first time, and my heart just broke for him. And there he is just sitting by himself, and there was a couple in our church that noticed it and went over and sat with him. And one of our pastors called this couple afterwards just to say, thank you for doing that. And the couple said, no, thank you. I'm gonna be, we're gonna be changing our seats, which that's a big deal in church. <laughs> we're changing our seats to sit by this guy and we wanna live life with this guy. We want this guy to be a part of our family. That's family love. That's building a culture of family. That's what Boaz would do. That's what Jesus would do. So I'm going to ask you the question. Who does she belong to? Who does he belong to? They belong to us because they belong to God. Let's pray together.